1: This week on Heritage Bible Radio, we're in the 10th chapter of Mark, verses 35-45. through Jesus and his disciples were on their way up to Jerusalem, and Jesus had just told them that he would be killed there by the religious leaders who hated him and had been seeking an opportunity to kill him for many months now. Have you ever picked exactly the wrong moment to do or say something really selfish? Well, you're not alone. Even Jesus' disciples fell to this human weakness right up to the week of Jesus' crucifixion. Had they still not learned all the lessons Jesus had been teaching them now for about three years? Well, the good news is Jesus doesn't respond with, really? Are you kidding me? After all these years, are you still this selfish? The even better news is Jesus doesn't treat you that way when you continue in your selfish ways but he's gentle and corrects us where we're at with love and gentle instruction. Do you want to be first? Of course you do. It's part of your fallen human nature. But how does God want you to be first? What does it take? The answer is not what the world would expect. Here is today's slice of the sermon entitled, Do You Want to Be First?
0: It's our joy once again to continue our studies through the gospel according to Mark, where today we are in chapter 10, and our venue is verses 35 to 45. It is a passage about how to be great in the kingdom of heaven. And as we're working our way through the gospel of Mark, this really should sound familiar to you. We saw the very same theme as recently as chapter 9. It recurs here so soon afterward because the issue persisted among the disciples and they needed to hear it twice in a relatively short span of time. Oh, and by the way, they're going to need to hear it again. And every one of us needs to hear this message again and again. This subject is one that we all need to think about and to be convicted about. The major reason that the church in America is largely ineffective and the reason that most people in the world consider the church of Jesus Christ irrelevant is that we have followed our own society right down its path of selfishness. And it has seeped, no, it has flooded into the church. Modern pastors are constantly being trained to try to figure out How to make church appeal to the selfish, egotistical, materialistic, biblically illiterate people who are immersed in a selfie culture by making church feel like the world. Let's have our music sound like the entertainment of the world. Let's make our preaching uh, hip and relevant to their felt needs. Well, I I promise you, if your goal is to preach something that is hip, your scheduled obsolescence is about three weeks down the road when all the pop culture references that you just made have vanished into the next coming trend and superstar that might come down the, the road. If that mindset that is currently dominating the church Continues. A generation from now, we're going to have churches full of people who are just as selfish as ever, just as ignorant of Scripture as ever, and probably not saved. There's a real issue that we need to deal with, and our, pa- our passage does it. What the world needs is not to find ways to be spiritual while they can remain wrapped up in themselves. People in our world need to be transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ, so that they they find a whole new way of living. The message of the gospel is foreign to our world, but one needs to grasp the true gospel or you won't understand what Jesus asks of you. Wanting what makes you look good, wanting what makes you feel good, wanting what adds to The appearance that you have power and glory and authority, that's anything but new. That's as old as Genesis chapter 3, where man first made the choice to commit to his own pleasures rather than to the glory of God. Now, even after three years with Jesus, even after having two of her own sons chosen by the Messiah to be His apostles and to be in the inner circle of His apostles. A woman who did really love the Lord stooped to playing the nepotism card to try to secure places of eternal honor for her sons. And that's the text before us this morning. Even after those three years with Jesus, the disciples kept falling into this argument over which of them was the greatest, and they still needed to learn This essential lesson, this incident is recorded so you and I can learn from their lesson. And it's recorded in consecutive chapters in Mark because when it comes to dealing with our own selfishness, our own pride, we are truly slow learners because the other way comes so naturally. So I've titled this, Do You Want to Be First? We're going to look at these 11 verses. Number one, stop seeking great position. Number two, be willing to give your life. Number three, find a way to serve, find ways to serve. And number four, follow Jesus' example. So it starts with, stop seeking great position. Come with me to Mark 10 verses 35 through 37. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. You ever heard one of your kids say that? Hey, hey look, mom, mom, dad, just, just commit that you'll do it, and then I'll tell you what I'm thinking of. It's childish, but that's exactly what they did. And he said to them, what do you want me to do? They said to him, grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. Now remember the time in Jesus' life that this takes place. He is literally on His way to Jerusalem to go to the cross. It's about a week before He will enter Jerusalem, maybe even less than that. He's leaving that area called Perea to the east of the Jordan River. Uh, In our next text, we're going to see that they actually have crossed the Jordan River by that time, and they will go through the city of Jericho, the first major city in Israel when you come in from the east across the Jordan River. We don't know the precise time and place, but that's irrelevant. It was on the road that led to Jericho, that led to Jerusalem. Now, I read you those three verses in Mark. Matthew adds a very significant detail in his parallel passage in Mark 20. And again, as we work through these things, uh, we really have to harmonize all of the Gospels. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke all mention this incident, all with a little bit different emphases and different details. But in Matthew twenty twenty, it says this, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making a request of Him. These two apostles had their mother involved. In asking for a favor from Jesus. Now, we can tell a few things about this woman from this and other passages. First, uh, it's likely that her husband had died. Otherwise, she probably would have been called the wife of Zebedee. But she's called the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Uh, The last we hear of Zebedee in the Bible is Matthew 4 and Mark 1, and that's very early in the ministry of Jesus. So probably he had died. Second thing we know, and I'll, I'll let you do this homework on your own. It can be a fun uh, study to search all this out. But if you go and compare Matthew 27, Mark 15, and John 19, and you can toss in Luke's record of the crucifixion as well, but from those three, we can deduce that this woman's name was Salome. Don't confuse her with the wicked woman of that same name, the one who did the erotic dance to get her father Herod Antipas to murder John the Baptist. This is a different Salome. This is the good one. Uh, Third, if you make that same comparison of the four Gospels at the end, we can deduce that Salome is a sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. That means James and John were Jesus' cousins. Salome was his aunt. Now, humanly speaking, maybe because of that family connection, uh, we know that Jesus' mother was quite faithful in following Him around as well, so they, perhaps the sisters were close, and she probably felt free, more free, I should say, to come to Jesus with a personal request than most other people would have been. And we know she came with her sons, and all three wanted the same thing. Now, honestly, we don't know if James and John put her up to it, or if she said, uh, come on, boys, we got some business, let's go talk to Jesus. We don't know who's the instigator here, but all three of them came. We do know that Jesus addresses His answer directly to James and John. So, even though Mom was involved in asking, Jesus deals with the hearts of the men themselves. Remember, His main purpose at this point is to train the apostles. Now, Salome, you've got to give her this, um, she came respectfully. She was bowing down. That's the typical way that one would address a king or some kind of dignitary. She was a believer. She knew who Jesus was. She respected it. Uh, she followed Jesus all the way to the cross, which is more than can be said of her two sons of thunder who were hiding when Jesus was crucified. Nevertheless, it's, it's hard to fathom that James and John and their mother would make such a misguided request. It was, well, it was crass. It was completely self-serving. The disciples didn't understand when Jesus spoke of His death soon to come. We just studied that last week. Uh, Partly because they were still hung up on what we saw a couple of weeks ago, Peter's question on behalf of the disciples, well, what then will there be for us?